I'm glad to be here. I'm new. I don't know a lot of people. Richard, I, I know you. You uh, were good to me during the assessment center, so thank you very much. <laughs> I am 37. I'm not sure how old all of you are, and that's really kind of irrelevant, but I'm, I'm 37, and I was just talking with Andy a little bit before before you guys got up here. We were doing jumping jacks trying to warm up the room, but it didn't, didn't work too well, but we were, we were chatting, and... Um, you know, I've been in ministry. I've been in church ministry since uh, I don't, as long as I can remember, but I'm only 37, so I, I've had 13 years of church ministry, and I've been in uh, different places. I grew up in Colorado. Uh, it was in a, a, a ska band. Anyone heard of ska music? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was a trumpet player, so trumpet players are just everyone. Everyone likes trumpet players, right? So I was there. Uh, got married uh, to my wife Lauren. Uh, 13 years ago, we were working at Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs, if you're familiar yeah. with that place. And up until this point, I was just a college dropout, uh, starving musician. I knew I wanted to get into ministry and didn't really know how. So I thought, why not try this? I just put my application online and ended up with the church down in Houston, Texas. Uh, my very first church experience, I went down to New Life Church, a tiny little church in Spring, Texas. And uh, it was a Christian Reformed church. I grew up Baptist, so that was a neat little, wow, there's differences here. Uh, and in, my, in my, my first year, I was the typical uh, everything to the senior pastor. Uh, so I was in charge of all the music. I was in charge of all the youth from birth through college. Um, I was in charge of all the volunteers. Uh, the, just the typical first church ministry. Anyone, has anyone had one of those mm-hmm. where you're like just young and on fire and you're just getting exhausted. Well, that was me. <laughs> so I was there for a year. I had a contract for a year. And, I, and so I did my whole year. And I knew that at the end of this year, I'm going to go back to Colorado because this is crazy. It's Houston. It's hot. And I do not like church. I'll figure out something else to do with my life. And during this time, I was going to a larger church in the Woodlands. At that time, it was called Fellowship of the Woodlands. It was a pretty large church on Saturday nights just so my wife and I could hang out and relax and and have a great time. Uh, So when it was transition time, time for me to go back to Colorado, I was ready to go. Somehow, Fellowship of the Woodlands found out about Aaron Havens and this young little family and asked us to come and help them start a fifth and sixth grade ministry. Well, long story short, I ended up at this church that uh, was extremely large. I think at that time was 15,000 people. And so my first year of ministry, I took a van of students and there, there were seven of us. And, and that, was our, that was our camp. It was awesome. The second year of my ministry, um, I took 350 fifth and sixth graders to camp. And that was insane. What was I thinking? I was, I was, I was on the front bus of five charter buses with my backpack and all my notes trying to be organized, thinking, what have I done? This is insane. And so, no experience, uh, a lot of passion, thrust somehow now into a very large ministry. Uh, any of you ever been there? I, I remember my transition of going from, from a small church into the large church, thinking, awesome, now we're going to have a staff. And it's going to be so cool because we're going to be able to sit down and talk about theology. We're going to be able to pray. Um, we're going to be able to do all sorts of stuff. And I went to my first staff meeting and I thought, wow, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be like. 
And little by little, my idea of what it was like to work in the church was just kind of squashed. Um, I realized that performance was a lot, um, that numbers were a lot. Um, to speed it up, I, I started the fifth and sixth grade ministry, worked that for a while, went and did high school ministry there at, at the same place and was doing that, running and gunning. And I can tell you something, at the beginning of that time, if I had a day off, I love to mountain bike. I love to go play frisbee golf because I'm terrible at real golf. Uh, but I love I loved doing those things. Five years later, six years later, after being part of this massive, right, massive growing ministry, uh, you asked me, what are you going to do on your day off? And I would say sleep. Uh, they, they, they asked me, um, what do you enjoy doing? And I, and I literally, I, I couldn't think of anything. Just my hobbies, my identity, my everything. I had, man, I had swung the pendulum in the wrong direction. Um, so at that point, I knew ministry needed to kind of change for me. And it, and it changed at, at one moment. We were in the middle of, of, of uh, 11 identical and powerful Easter services. Because uh, we just, that's what we do, right? And, and the youth department, which is our department, was in charge of directing uh, people in the crosswalks as they come. And so I'm sitting there and I'm directing, I don't know, lots of people. <laughs> and they're, they're going through the crosswalk. And cars are coming and people are coming. And I see my two beautiful little girls coming in their Easter dresses. And I see my wife coming through. And my little girl kind of, you know, clings to my, clings my leg, gives me a hug and says, Happy Easter, Dad. And I barely have time to tap her on the head. I'm like, cars and people are just coming. And then they start walking away. And then my daughter turns around and looks at me. And maybe you've had one of these moments in your life. But she says, I'll see you tomorrow, Dad. Have a good Easter. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking... Okay, I, I get this, but I don't get it. What, 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 what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, Aaron Havens, what are you becoming? On your days off, if you get them, you sleep. You don't even know what that's about. And your daughter's already at the age of three and five are saying, bye, Dad. <laughs> it's like, what, what, uh, what, what's going on? Have you ever been there? So I'm directing them. And it was about this time also that, that I was kind of getting twisted a little bit in my thought or my or my mentality of what church is i'm not twisted in a bad way in a, in a good way we were very uh seeker sensitive so we would do all sorts of cool stuff to bring to bring people into the church which isn't a bad thing however i wanted to go more i want i wanted to create disciples um that are going to stay for the long term and so i'd already seen a couple classes graduate and go and i didn't like the result that we were producing as a church so I wanted to get into more of a ministry that was focused in on discipleship. So along came an opportunity to go to a, a larger church in Oklahoma City uh, that had multiple campuses. And what they wanted me to do was to come in and to create a small group ministry for that church. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm still in this mega church world that now I've become very accustomed to. But I am going to focus in on discipleship. This is perfect. And this is incredible. I love this. So I transitioned to this church in Oklahoma City, and my job was to meet with um, 14 youth pastors from all the different campuses around the states and to kind of mentor them and to love on them and to train them. But something had happened in my life, and and I don't know if you're into taking notes or whatever, but I just I I want to tell you this. Um, Something that happened in me was bitterness took root. Took root. And in the middle of seeing life change and things happening in my life, 
Bitterness had taken root to the point where I didn't even recognize it anymore. And to the point where I had these youth pastors that I'm supposed to mentor and teach, and I'm starting to just be venomous to them about the organization in which I am serving, about what's going on more in my heart than anything else, because the organization was great. My bitterness was killing me. And I remember at one point I realized I I, I need to get out. (laughs) I need to get out. So at the climax of my ministry, right, the place where, where everyone wants to be, if you're a youth pastor, of course you want to be at this church and you want to do this. You're making the big bucks. You're doing the, and speaking at the youth specialties conferences. You're going to all these wonderful places, right? That's where you want to be. But if there's bitterness in here and you're in it for the wrong reasons, then, then you're done. So I had to hang up my hat and I said, I, I got to go. Took my family down to Mexico for a year. And in Mexico, it was a great time. We, we were missionaries down there. And in Mexico, God really broke me in a lot of ways. You know what happened to me in Mexico that maybe your story can relate to or will relate to? Is my wife of 13 years. I had suppressed her. I didn't know it, but I had suppressed her. I had controlled our relationship where we were moving, what we were doing. She's here to support my ministry and what's going on. Have you ever, have you ever come to one of those <laughs> points in your life? And in Mexico, I moved down there to start this great program. And for the first time, what I was in charge of was crumbling and failing, and I could not recover it. It was failing, and I wasn't used to failure. And so I turn into this, this moment where crisis in me I didn't know who I was, what I was doing, why I'd moved my family to Mexico. It was a very breaking time for me. And what I saw in Mexico was my wife come alive because she suddenly had to find her identity in Jesus Christ, not in Aaron Havens. And I got to see my wife start writing a book. She doesn't write. I got to see my wife train for a half marathon. She doesn't run. Or did she? And I saw a beautiful woman blossom. And while we were in Mexico, God did a lot of restoring. And simply because the places that I had, had worked at, I could say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to fly into Atlanta, Georgia, or fly into these big cities, and I want to hold a day conference. Um, and all I had to do is get the word out and you know, the drop the name kind of thing. Pastors would show up. And so while I was in Mexico, I would fly into these, these cities, and I would sit with typically about 20 pastors and their wives for a day conference that I would do, and I called it the B conference. And during this time, God started doing something in my heart that absolutely breaks my heart. And I would sit with pastors, and regardless of what age they were, regardless of how long they'd been in ministry, regardless of how small or how large their ministry was, there was one common theme that I kept coming across, and it's, it's this Monday morning thing. And I kept coming across this theme, and the theme was pastors find their identity in what they do more than who they are. And pastors, including myself, are generally some of the most egotistical people in America. And so I want to ask you a question, because this is me. <laughs> How are you on Monday mornings after you've, you've preached to the hundreds of thousands of people, or in my case, 20 people? How are you on Monday mornings? Like, I know two weeks ago, I stumbled on a message badly <laughs> in my mind. And so Monday morning, 
I wasn't very happy. I was actually very sad. Yet last week, I did pretty good of a message. You should listen to my podcast. It's pretty good. So, Monday, yesterday, I was pretty happy about that. What do you do on your day off? Do you guys have hobbies? Are they important to you? Fishing? Do you protect that time? Or do you find your identity in what you're doing? Um, I started Project Salt, and it's in Greeley. And one of, the, one of the things that we say often is three words. It sounds like I'm going to sing a song, but I'm not. It's be, do, be. <laughs> be it sounds like a song, right? It's really not. Be, do, be. And I have be, do, be in place for me more than anyone else, but for our entire body and for, and for the people that we come across. Because here's kind of the reality. The first B, the, the B is why we're on this earth, the first B. And the first B is there's a moment in everyone's life where hopefully you're going to come to the point where it's like a crisis of identity and you realize that life living on your own, Andy, is a terrible life. And you've got to find your identity in Jesus Christ. And so the moment of conversion, right, the moment where you ask God to come in and take control of your life, that's why we're on earth. And so, so we're here and we come into this beautiful relationship where now we, we switch our identity from who we are to whose we are, and that's the first B. Awesome. That's evangelism. That's telling people the good news. I mean, that's it. I love that. And churches are pretty good at that. They're pretty good at this, at this conversion thing. Then there's this thing called do. And do is the moment where, man, we realize, we realize that you're good at playing guitar. And you've been gifted at playing guitar. And so, because you play guitar, and because you love God, we, we're going to have you start now playing on our worship team. And the good news is, is we have six services a weekend. So you have the opportunity to play six services a weekend. And you get to play in front of 10,000 people a weekend. And you get to tell 10,000 people how much God loves them because you're good at guitar. Well, the problem is when you fast forward that, what happens? Now our identity is in what we're doing instead of who we are. And so it, it, it starts pure, right? But pretty soon your identity switches from that being who you are to what you're doing and how great things are going and how things are growing and how God is moving and you switch your identity into this doing. You ever done that? And if we end there, we have missed the greatest journey that this whole thing is about. Because this journey isn't about what we're doing. This journey, every night when you lay your head down on your pillow, you should be so enhammered with the love and the grace that God has mm -hmm. given you mm -hmm. that it should bring tears to your eyes. I say it very simply to my, to my daughters like this. God loves you not for what these fingers have done, but because you have these fingers. Monday mornings, can be a very scary time. Because as pastors, we start out pure. I mean, we start out in love with God. And along the way, because we have a little bit of egotisticalness in us, 
because we have the answers, because people need us. Our identity begins to switch from what we, who we are to what we're doing. And when we find ourselves on Monday morning, it's like hell if our identity is in what we do. Think about your day off this week. <clears throat> one, did you have one? Like a protected one? If so, what was it that you, that you did? Did you sleep? Did you uh, work on your message? Did you go fishing? Oh, I actually want to put a Bible verse here. Um, Hebrews 6, 7. I love this verse. Hebrews 6, 7. I'll use, I'll use the old NIV because I'm too cheap to buy the new one. Um, Hebrews 6, 7 says, Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it. And that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is framed receives the blessing of God. <clears throat> I've thought about this verse for years and years and years. I mean, I've read this verse for years and years and years. And today I want to—I just want to ask a couple of questions about, about this verse, okay? Land that drinks the rain. C- can you put yourself in the context of land? I mean, just insert your name there or think of it as you. You are the land, okay? Put yourself in that context. Land that drinks the rain often falling on it. When I hear that, drinks the rain that's often falling on it. If you're the land, what's the rain? It's the spirit of God. It's the love of God. It's the grace of God that's often falling on it. Think about this, okay? Land. Can land conjure up rain? Can land suddenly summon the the rains to come down? Land is there, and rain falls when God produces rain. And I think of our lives, land. And it says this, that drinks in the rain often fallen on it. God pours rain continually into our life. The question is this, do you drink of that rain? Or do you, like pastors often fall into, or do you find your tendency in saying, oh God, thank you for this rain. Now that's a good message. That's a great message. Thank you for this three point rain that you just gave me. (laughs) That's awesome. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. This week, or are you talking? <laughs> I'm getting my sermon here. So. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I am guilty of that, and I imagine every single one of you are guilty of that. It's the great joy that we have. We get to share this life with people. And because we're passionate, because we're running after God, we're doing it all the time. 
24 hours a day, we think about it. 24 hours a day, it's in us. 24 hours a day, we can't escape from this profession. We got in the wrong profession for vacations and breaks. We can't escape from this vacation. If we are not careful, we will never personally drink the rain that God flows into us. And if we're not personally drinking the rain and absorbing the rain that God is flowing into us, we will not produce crops at all worthy of anything. I guarantee we're all talented enough and smart enough and there's enough books and enough programs and conferences to this day that every single one of you could go and start a church and it would be a mega church if you wanted it to be. You don't even need God to do that. You realize that? You just need to have a little bit of brains and a little bit of personality and a little bit of leadership and you can, you can rule it. My question is this. Are you missing the point? And are you teaching other people to miss the point? One of the cool things is I've been able to go and start a, a brand new church. And man, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard starting a brand, brand new church. You, know, you don't really know people. Six people moved to Greeley, Colorado. And that's our church. <laughs> it's great. One of the cool things, though, is I've been able, because I just love pastors and I want to connect with pastors all the time, I've been able to meet a lot of different pastors. There's one pastor of a very large church in northern Colorado that um, I, I've just gone to and I've said, I want you to mentor me and I want you to teach me. I want you to show me what you're doing because you've been in it for 25 years and you're alive and I see it in your eyes. You, your family loves you. I love that. I mean, on and on and on. I just want my life to be that 25 years from now if I'm in ministry. And one of the things that he tells me is this, is he goes, I want to break down the illusion that I am busy all the time. Yes. Man. That's the opposite of everything I've ever heard. I've always heard pastors are supposed to be busy all the time. And if, if you want to meet with me, okay, three months away, I might have an opening between 7.30 and 8.30 for real quick, though. And I run into that all the time, especially from the world that I come from, the mega church world. I mean, don't ask for my time. I'm busy all the time. And if we've structured our organization, if we've structured churches like that, what have we done? We're teaching the people around us that it's not about absorbing the rain that God is dropping in our life. Mm -hmm. Andy Stanley, I was listening to him yesterday as I was driving up, and maybe you've heard this, you know, but he says, you can't do for a thousand people all the time. But what you wish you could do for a thousand people, do it in at least one person's life. Do it in at least one person's life. Pour into that one person. Teach them that it's about drinking the rain. It's not about being busy, busy, busy all the time. I'm, I'm currently, I'm working on two writing projects right now. And one of them I'm naming um, to paint with color. Because oftentimes with our words, with our attitudes, with our actions, we talk in black and white. We act in black and white. Just ugliness. When God has given us a full palette, and he said, I want you to live life to the fullest. I want you to tell people about my love, who I am. I want you to have hobbies. <laughs> I want you to sleep. I want you to date your wife. I want you to enjoy Monday mornings, not regret them. I want you to be full of life. And then the other, the other little project I'm working on is called, Oh Human, Where Art Thou? And I know, know who that's to. That's to me. And that's more to pastors. Because Monday morning, 
we wake up and we don't even know who we are anymore. We may have led 10,000 people to Jesus Christ, but us ourselves, we are bitter, we are exhausted, we are overweight, we are stressed out, and we are dying because we are placing our identity in what we do instead of who we are. Is this resonating with, with anyone? Um, you still have time to jump and go to another little breakout session if you want. Um, I wanted to come to this because I'm actually an elder in my church. And I wanted to know um, how can I support my pastor? What can I do to make sure that he gets that encouragement, he gets that time? Because he's a very busy man. And I know that, I know a couple weeks ago, um, after he taught, um, he always has a little session question or comment kind of session. Hey, is there anything that you know you got out of this or whatever? And no one said anything, and I kind of kind of shrunk up because I'm like, well, nobody got anything out. Of it. He's going to think no one got anything out of it. To me, it was a fantastic message, and there was really nothing left to add to it. <clears throat> And so afterwards, I just went up to him and I said, that's what it is. It, it was such a great message because I know he's going to go home and he's going to mull that over. You know, nobody said anything. So maybe I botched this thing. You know? So how can I, um, as a, a partner in ministry with him, how can I support him without being uh, fake about it? Mm -hmm. Can I give you at least my limited experience of a pastor and, and one question that I will never ask again and that is how did you like the message I don't ask that anymore he's I stopped never, asking never asked that okay not to yeah. us but maybe to himself I've stopped asking that question because when I ask that question I'm really what I want you to say is either stroke my ego or make me feel bad about myself and that's such an addicting thing either direction so I personally have stopped asking that I would say from an elder from leadership or whatever, ask him if he's taking his days off. Ask him if he's dating his wife. Ask him personally what's going on. But I'm limited. I'm only 13 years. You guys have experience. What do you say? What do you say to him? Create an environment where he feels like he can take a day off without being judged for it. Create an environment where he feels like if he doesn't take a tap, he will be judged. For it. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. But we insist on doing that. Yeah. Uh, not just, and maybe two days off. Yeah. Sometimes, especially us old guys, would be really good. We do yeah. feel like it's part of our, I don't want to say job, but part of our ministry is to protect him. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think personalities are different. For me, it would it would simply be if you came to me and said, I'm making you take a week off or two weeks off and go to this place and relax or something. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> but that's my personality. I don't know the personality of your pastor. Let me hopefully bring a little passage alive to us and then we'll then we'll kinda of wrap up here. 
um, so you can go on. But this, these are the conversations. Man, you, there's a lot of pastors here. <laughs> you can have a lot of good conversations with people about how to support pastors. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll be very honest and vulnerable with you. And so I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for that. Um, I want to bring this passage alive. And Richard, you've heard it before, but well, we all have. John 21. John 21 is, is my passage. Um, you guys can't have it. It's mine. If I can pick one part in the Bible in which I would be inserted, it's this one. This is, this is mine, so you can't be there. Um, but John 21, I mean, Peter, we know the story of Peter. Peter uh, is a very, very passionate man. I mean, he's, he's done some pretty cool stuff with Jesus. He's, he's seen miracles. The guy walked on water. I mean, the, the guy cut off the ear of a high servant's pre, or you know a high priest servant or whatever that is, because he has so much passion and love for Jesus Christ. And yet, moments later, just Easter, we just came through this. This is the same Peter that denied that he even knew his best friend, his Savior, his Lord. This is Peter. This is me. We get to John, you know, in this passage right here, and he's fishing in a boat. He's returned to what his old life was. He doesn't know what else is going to go on. I mean, he's just there. I'm probably devastated in John 21 as I'm Peter sitting in this boat. And they're out there fishing, right? And who shows up on the scene? Jesus. Shows up on the, on the scene. He goes to the shore. And he says, hey, there's a bunch of fish over there. You know, Peter jumps out. They all come to the shore, and then this is my moment. Sorry, you'll have to pick your own. But Jesus, he's already provided the fish. He's already built a fire. He's sitting right there, and he's returning. He loves me so much. He loves Peter so much. He's returning just to say, it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in verse 12... What does he say? Oh, I don't even have my Bible out. That's terrible here. Come, come and dine. Come have fellowship. He says, come and have breakfast with me. I've spoken at, at conferences before, and I, and I thought about being really awkward like I normally am, um, even more so than I have been. Um, one of the things I do at this moment is I, is I literally... Put a bowl right here, and then I pour Cheerios in it, and then I pour milk in it, and I eat the entire bowl of Cheerios while looking at you. And that, it gives me cotton mouth. I don't like to do that. (laughs) But it drives home during those five minutes of eating my cereal what that means. Jesus is sitting on the shore and all he wants to do is have breakfast with us. Mm-hmm. You know the Monday mornings that are bad for me? They're the Monday mornings that I'm not having breakfast with my king. Mm-hmm. It's fact. 
Analyze your Mondays. The days that are bad, and let's just get off Monday mornings. I use that because Sunday was our performance, right? The days that our perspective is bad is when we're not having breakfast with our king. He's sitting on the shore. He's provided the fish. He's provided the fire. And he's waiting for us, asking us to have breakfast with our king. And yet we bypass him. My, my biggest challenge in life that, that I could ever say and probably will ever say is, are you having breakfast with your king? And pastors are one of the most um, vulnerable to skipping their breakfast. They might open their Bible, they may have breakfast, but they're only doing it for a message or to change other people's lives. And so I say, pause, please pause. Even today, please pause. Allow whatever conversations, allow whatever is happening, whatever's being taught, allow it to absorb, allow your land to drink in that rain, allow God to renew you and refresh you and get the addiction of feeding other people out of your mind. Get it, please wipe it out of your mind because that's not what this moment's about. And if you are full of life, then you'll be able to fill other people. As a youth pastor, one of the bis- biggest things that I learned is if I'm fake, the youth will smell it out quick, won't they, Barry? Yep. Mm-hmm. And if we're not full, and if we're not drinking in the rain, and we're not having breakfast with our king, don't you think people around us can, can see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much for um, just our life. And thank you that we have such an honor to stand up and and proclaim your goodness to the people around us. And that is such a cool thing. God, I pray that you protect that title, that duty. And protect our hearts. That we don't bypass breakfast with you. That, God, we won't find our identity in what we're doing, but we'll find our identity in whose we are. I pray even today that you refresh us. Not for the sake of other people, not for messages, not for anything, but you'll refresh us. That, God, we'll go on a walk with you today. That we'll fish with you today. That we'll sit and be content in who we are. And I pray that we can break every chain in our life that bypasses our hearts and our mind. I pray that we personally can be alive and vibrant in you and that it'll radiate out of us and it'll ooze out of us because we're in love with you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. And may we never miss a breakfast with you again. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.